Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We hope you can step away from this message being encouraged and blessed and to move into your week in the mighty name of Jesus. Have a great day. Jesus, thank you for Karis. Thank you for how she serves our church. Thank you for whatever the word is that you put inside of her that you have for us this morning. Open up your word to us, God. Anywhere that we're not hungry, make us hungry. We ask that we would be good soil this morning. We would receive the word of the kingdom and that it would multiply in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's awesome to be with y'all and awesome to come after the McGuckin story. Um, And I felt like this morning I had this phrase that I feel like the Lord wants to deal with, and it's theology of disappointment. So this is something that I've wrestled with in my own life and just feel like the Lord wants to set some people free this morning and to empower you and then to activate you. So like I said, my name is Karis. I have been coming to Antioch since the beginning of whenever we started. Um, I am married to an amazing man who brought my thing up here. And we have four kids, and um, Chad and I met at Baylor University the week before school started 14 years ago, probably this week. So sweet, it's our anniversary of that. But um, Chad was going around introducing himself to all the girls, and I, but that's a story for a different day. But I met him that night, um, and you know, our lives that year, freshman year, were really changed by a church called Antioch Community Church in Waco, Texas. And that is like the mother church where all the plants church plants are sent out of. Um, And so I started to attend a life group, and every week we would read Acts 2, 42 through 47. Has anyone read Acts 2? Yeah, okay. So we, um, together we would just read that scripture, and I had known the Lord my whole life, but it was the first time that I'd felt like I was part of something, and not just part of something, but we were studying Acts. And I don't know about you, but in reading the Bible, I started meeting with the Lord every night when I was like in seventh grade. Um, and I would read Ephesians or Colossians, but I didn't spend a lot of time in Acts. And what I love about the book of Acts is that it's us. It's, it's, it's the historical nonfiction of what happens when Jesus leaves and people are left with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, what do we do now? <laughs> and what do we do with the Holy Spirit living inside of us? And I, I want to approach this series that we're in right now. We're looking at the book of Acts. I hope you've been able to read along. But if you haven't, it's never too late to start. It'd be a good time to start now. Um, But as we've gone through this series, I just keep thinking the Lord kind of wants to wipe off the lens of our glasses. I think sometimes I can approach the word of God and think like, oh, it's it's full of these really great principles of life, Um, which it is. It's full of really great commands. And it can tell us right from wrong. Like the Ten Commandments is a good idea. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Like it's good rules. And then sometimes I can uh, approach it and think like, oh, it's historical, it's this story, and I love stories, so it speaks to me like that. But if we just leave it as a story, it doesn't really speak to me. And so when I look at the book of Acts, I want to see it as a book of promise. I want to see the whole thing as a book of promise, that the stories that I'm reading aren't like, that's not the end of what God wants to do. They're there to excite my faith. And I think what Austin shared at the beginning, the Ephesians 3.20, he wants to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Um, <clears throat> and the text that we're going to read today leaves a lot of things that, like, it seems like we've hit the scope of imagination. And I just feel like the Lord wants to have us keep dreaming with him after we read this. So we've been in the book of Acts, and the, um, 
The first week, Andrew took us, I like to kind of review so it feels like a puzzle to me, but the first week, Andrew took us with Peter, and um, there's a passage in Matthew where Jesus comes up to his disciples, and he says, who do people say that I am? And they are like, well, some say you're Christ, and some say, no, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, and then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Um, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And on this rock, on this revelation, I will build my church. So we talked about these four pillars of the church. Y'all remember what those were, the repentance. Then we, repentance, we respond. Sorry, I always forget that one. That one's hard for me. Then we, <laughs> repentance, oh no, revelation. Sorry, we're going to start over, okay? <laughs> we have a revelation. So he sees who God is. Then there's a response that's required of him. Then you get to repent of your sin, and then you receive the Holy Spirit, which takes us into Acts chapters 1 and 2. And 2 is where Pentecost happens. And the Holy Spirit comes like that sound or the mighty rushing wind. And it comes like flames of fire on people's head. Y'all are looking at me like, this is boring. This is, like, amazing. <laughs> like, we've never seen this happen before. And then um, Steve got up here, and he talked about Paul. If you missed that message, it was really awesome. But really what Paul teaches us is this life of purpose. And I loved how Steve went all the way. I kind of fought him on this because I wanted it to be more consecutive. But he took us all the way to Acts 26 where uh, Paul's standing before <laughs> Agrippa, right? And he's telling Agrippa what Jesus told him on the road to Damascus. And he includes these um, details that we don't get in that first story that we hear about Paul earlier in Acts. We see that he says that Jesus said, hey, I've sent you for this purpose to bring people from darkness into light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. <clears throat> and what, what Steve was just saying is that the church that God builds is a church full of people of purpose. And that we have this same purpose. What God did in Paul, he's still doing today in our lives. And then last week, uh, Andrew got up and he talked about Stephen. We kind of looked at how the early church, basically, the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost. Peter gets up. They're like, you're drunk. He's like, we're not drunk. And he begins to tell them about the Holy Spirit. And they're like, it says that they're, they're pierced to the heart. They're like so convicted. And they're like, brothers, what do we do? And he says, repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And then these people get, right, 3,000 people get added to their number. The church is exploding. And I loved how Andrew just basically said they didn't know what to do, right? Like, you add 3,000 people, it's like, we don't really know how to manage 3,000 people. And so they had a couple issues. And we just looked at how to be a church that God builds, which is a community in process. To say, like, we're not ever going to reach the point where it's like, and now we are Antioch Indy and we're finished. We're going to continue to be in this process with God. And so today, I really wanted to speak on this person. So when we were having this dreaming meeting, I was like, I really want Philip. I hope no one takes Philip. And I'm going to talk about Philip. So we're looking at Acts chapter 8. And today's message title is a church that God builds as a church of a people who are of the spirit and of power. So of the spirit and power. I wanted to go more of presence and power because of the P's and the alliteration. But felt like, I just feel like the Holy Spirit has gotten sometimes a bad reputation in some circles. Or he's been put in a corner. I know for me growing up, grew up in a great home. And I know we talked about the Holy Spirit. But I did not experience the Holy Spirit like I did until college. And um, I just feel like I like that right now in the body of Christ. I feel like as a whole he's getting the attention that he's due, because he's the one that Jesus said, it's better that I go away 
so that I leave you with him. And he's the gift from the Father, and he's worth our attention and our getting to know. So we want to be people who are filled with the Spirit. And we're going to get into this just a little bit. But, you know, there's these things where when we're saved, we get the Holy Spirit as a deposit. He's guaranteeing our inheritance. But then there are also times, and I don't understand the what and the why, and we're not going to get into that. But sometimes the Holy Spirit can fill us that he wants to fill us, that we're like a cup and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would say like every day asking to be filled, to be immersed, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's not a theological point, that's in the Bible. So as we're approaching the text today, I really hope that we can like leave our theological baggage right here because this stuff will always, we will always have to talk about it. Like, it will always be a question mark, some things. We might not ever know, but that's the point, is the faith. So we're just going to look at the Bible, we're going to look at the text, and we're going to take it at face value for what it says. Okay, so we're going to be a people of the Spirit, so we've talked about that, but we're also going to be a people of power. This whole week, as I was preparing, I was thinking of the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland, right? That's normal. And, um, but in the Mad Hatter, he comes to Alice and he says, you've lost your muchness. You used to be much, muchier. Do y'all know that line? And I, I sometimes feel like I want to say that to the church. Like, we've lost our muchness. And if I look at the book of Acts, I'm like, we used to be much, muchier. And I just feel like that's not a condemning word. That's an exciting word. You know, I don't think I would be passionate about this word power until my son was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I was facing this thing that a lot of people, and this is not wrong, and don't get offended by this, but they would throw the sovereignty of God card. Well, if God wills, he'll live. And I'm like, well, I know that Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. So I began to get really picky about who I would let around me. Just because I was like, I need people who are saying, I believe that God heals still. And I believe he wants to heal. So I'm going to believe with you and pray with you like he's going to heal your son. Till the end, no matter the outcome. In fact, halfway through treatment, I felt the Lord say, don't hedge your bets. And I had to look it up. I was like, what's hedging your bets? It's betting on both sides of an equation to guarantee an outcome. I felt like the Lord said, don't hedge your bets. Put all your chips at the center of the table and say, I'm betting everything on the fact that Jesus still heals. Okay, so I have like this personal attachment to this message, to the word power. And when I was preparing, I thought of this verse. It's actually in 2 Timothy. So hold your hand in Acts 8 and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is describing to his friend Timothy what the church looks like or what the world looks like. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its, denying its power. It's kind of a bummer of a verse. <clears throat> Feels like it can be relevant in a lot of actual historical times. Certainly relevant today. But I want to hang out in that verse 5. We have the appearance of godliness. The appearance is this word like morphosis, which is like the form. We have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. Now, some commentaries will say, oh, that verse is talking about people who get saved, but they don't think they have the power to overcome sin, and so they're denying that power. I think that's totally valid and could apply. But let's just look at what the word power is here. This word power is a word dynamite. What word do you think we get dynamite? Like, what is it? Dynamite. Okay. Dynamite sounds like power. This word means force, especially 
miraculous power, ability, abundance, meaning, might, worker of miracle, power, strength, violence, mighty, wonderful work. That sounds like more than just overcoming sin, although I think it totally encapsulates overcoming sin. It sounds like power. (laughs) It sounds like dynamite. That we would have a form of godliness, but we would deny the fact that it has power in our lives. Luke 24, 49, when Jesus is about to leave, he tells his disciples, Behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What we see in the book of Acts and these people are are walking in power is not supposed to be shut in the book of Acts. You can't, and this, I know that there are people who believe this, and I'm not trying to start an argument. I'm just saying there's not a verse that says it's done. There's not a verse that says, and now we no longer act in power, but we can overcome sin, but we don't pray for any miracles. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying don't make the miracles a God too, but at the same time, don't take the miracles out of God. It's what he does. He's a miraculous God. We just heard this story. He's meeting a testimony. Like this, your testimony is so powerful, and I think it sets up today that, that you don't get to define just what a miracle is. It can be financial. It can be spiritual. It can be emotional. It can be physical. And I certainly needed it to be physical. In fact, one of the first days that um, we were in the hospital, um, Cade was going in for surgery later that day to have this tumor resected. And I was standing outside, and two of my friends came um, from, they were Antioch friends, two came up, and I was just so thrilled to see them. And at the same time they walked up, our oncologist came for the first time. I'd never met him before. And he starts to walk me through the surgery and what they see on the CT scan. And he says, this tumor, this grapefruit-sized tumor, it's growing off your son's kidney. The kidney probably hasn't been working for some time. And he says, and the tumor looks as if it's ruptured, which if it's ruptured, the cells have gone everywhere. And it's a much harder thing, even like getting it out. And then if it is this harsh pathology that we would get back, like that if the pathology comes back poor, we would have to do radiation on both sides. And anyway, he's just explaining it. He's covering his bases as he should. And my friend from Antioch, he leaves and she's like, well, we're just going to pray that it doesn't rupture and that it hasn't ruptured. And it was like immediate, my, my soul was so hungry for someone to insert faith. And I was like, okay, okay, I can pray that. And I think, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was like, that's kind of a dangerous thing to say to someone. You know, when someone, we kind of act a little bit tender when someone's going through something hard. We don't want to, like, throw false hope. And, and I don't think she was throwing false hope. I think something rose up in her. And I was like, no, we're going to pray the tumor hasn't ruptured. Like, we're going to pray they get the whole thing out today. And that seems dangerous to tell someone whose heart is so hungry for hope, because what if it hadn't happened? So we're sitting in the waiting room, and we have this precious little woman who's coming, and she's updating us how the surgery is going. And she really nonchalantly says to us, and they got the whole tumor out, and I fall to the ground weeping. Like my heart, and she's like, why are you crying? I'm crying. Why are you crying? It's a good thing. I'm like, I know it's a good thing. But that was the first thing that God gave me to latch on to. The first moment of faith that was like this little breadcrumb trail of faith throughout all of treatment that God gave me to be like, you believe for this, I will do this. You believe for this, I will do this. And I want to encourage our hearts today to be people who insert the leaven of faith into hard situations. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the power of God. I'm tired of having a church that's so afraid of so many things, that we're known for all these things we stand against instead of walking into situations and believing the power of God wants to come. He wants to come. All right, we're going to go to Acts 8. 
So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give us a little what's been happening because Andrew left off last week. We talked about how there was this issue with these widows and they needed someone to solve the problem. The apostles needed someone to solve the problem. So they call seven men who are of good repute, who are filled with the spirit and they're filled with wisdom. So they appoint these seven men to take care of it and they say, we're going to appoint these men so that we can go and do the work of the ministry. Well, one of these men, Stephen, starts walking in signs and wonders. You can read it. It literally says he starts walking in signs and wonders. I'm not sure the apostles saw that one coming. You know, they're like, wait a minute. We're the ones with Jesus. Stephen's starting to walk in signs and wonders, and he gets so much attention that the religious rulers of the day come, and they're upset about it, and they actually end up stoning Stephen. Before he's stoned, he gives this beautiful testimony of who Jesus is, starting at the very beginning of the Israelites and the people and Abraham, and if you read that, it includes so many cool details, I thought, that I hadn't read, like I hadn't read it through that lens before. I hadn't read the Holy Spirit or the Old Testament through Stephen's lens, so I would encourage you to go back and read that. So, he testifies to who Jesus is, and then he's stoned, and as he's stoned, it says that he sees the heavens open, and he says, behold, I see the heavens open. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. In every other place in scripture, it talks about how Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think he was standing in that moment for that first martyr to stand in, in honor of that man's life. So Stephen has died, and this is what happens. We're going to pick up in Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul, who later becomes Paul, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So everyone else is scattered. The apostles are still there. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Okay, so we're going to stop right there for right there. So the first thing we see is that all the other believers, the 3,000 plus other believers, are being scattered out of the city except for the apostles. And I think we have to emote with this text a little bit. Their hearts are terrified as they're being scattered. Like, this is a close community. They've been spending day by day in each other's homes, breaking bread. All of a sudden, one of their, like, dearest leaders, Stephen, is killed. And not only that, now men and women are being dragged from homes. And, and there's fear. There's genuine fear. And so it says that they go about, and I love this, that as they were scattered, they began to preach the word. I think we have this option that happens in our lives where sometimes we get in situations where it feels like we're being scattered. We're being pushed out of this place that was really awesome. And for us, for my family, specifically our story, when Cade was diagnosed, it was right when we got this building. And I was like, Lord, we're in the middle of everything. Like, we're in the middle of advancing the kingdom of God. We have a life group in our house. Like, our kids, are, their lives are being changed. Why are you putting us out? Why are you scattering us? And I think they had to go back in their minds. They had to repeat what they knew the apostles had said Jesus told them. Because in Acts 1.8, Jesus says to wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, then you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I wonder if they like played through that and they're like, oh, I'm in Judea. I guess I, I, guess I do this. Like John's not here. James isn't here. Peter's not here. Like I guess I better be the one to proclaim the Christ. And I feel like when, we, when I was able to see my situation, instead of saying, I'm being scattered, 
and I'm scared, and I'm running for my life. I would rather be anywhere but here. I would rather be anywhere but in a pediatric oncology wing of a hospital. Instead, when I saw it as a place of I can proclaim Christ, I earned friends. I got to pray with people. I got to pray with my son. My friends came to me. Like, it became the place where the kingdom was happening. So that's just an aside. That's not even on the, but that's just for you. Just for you. So everyone is scattered except who? Who's not scattered? The apostles, the powerful people. Now, I think we have a tendency to do this in all church culture where we love to make the leaders like the ones that do everything, right? We're like, oh, I will, you don't know Jesus? I'll bring you to church on Sunday and my pastor will tell you, which is okay. You might not think you have the gift of evangelism, but your story is enough. And I just want to say, you can do it. Touch your neighbor, say, you can do it. You can be scattered and you can do it. When the apostles are in the city, you can do it. You're the one he wants to move on. And I don't know that the apostles were really teaching this, but I think that must have been the message that was kind of communicated until Stephen starts walking in signs and wonders and the people are scattered and somehow in the kindness of God, God begins equipping and activating every believer to go into every city and make known who Jesus is. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. I'm gonna have it on the screen. He says, in every church where there is really the power of the Spirit of God, the Lord will cause it to be spread abroad. He never means that a church should be like a nut shut up in a shell or like ointment enclosed in a box. The precious perfume of the gospel must be poured forth to sweeten the air. Isn't that so good? Like we love to have our holy huddle and it's not bad, (laughs) but I don't wanna come on a Sunday and be like, I just gotta make it through the week to get to Sunday and then I'll really come alive. Like I wanna be fully alive and then this place is where I touch base and like get my like gear on again to go out in the world and do the real work. Can we say that we're gonna be a church like that? That we can be the people, we don't have to wait for the apostles. Like Andrew's not in a salon eight hours a day, you are. Andrew's not working night shifts at Wheeler Mission, right? You are and it's like, Wherever you are, show up. Your obedience to God is being filled with the Spirit and showing up for your life. Don't let somebody else do it. It's your job. Do it. Be present where you're at. And even if you're like, I'm not really good at evangelizing, just tell them what the Lord's been teaching you. Just talk to people about who you are in God. Let people know that you love God and watch what happens. Everybody in moments of crisis wants to know someone who prays. I guarantee it. So even if you're just the crisis person, that's okay. You know what I mean? Okay, so who was Philip? Philip was not an apostle. The gospel is the great equalizer. He wants everybody to be in the game. So if you're like, I've been waiting to get on staff at a church, great, keep waiting, but like go do stuff in the meantime. You have a whole world waiting for you. So here's Philip, and he's one of the seven. We look at Acts 6, 3 to 4 to figure out who is this guy. He's not the apostle Philip. He's one of these seven that was chosen because he had good reputation, that he was full of the spirit, full of wisdom, and he was appointed to the duty of feeding widows. So I don't think Philip, when he was feeding widows, thought, and now I'm going to go down to Samaria and just watch what happens. You know what I mean? He's just doing the next thing, and God's the one who's going to move. Watch God move in power as you obey. Sometimes we like get this weird thing that like we have to conjure up the power. And I just want to say you don't. You just obey. See what God does. In Acts 8, we're going to pick up the story, what happens to Philip. Verses 5 through 8. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. 
For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So I I just love this, because... I'm going to, like, kind of make this up, but I bet Philip was like, Stephen did miracles. And I bet he sat around and was like, that's so cool. I didn't know he was gifted like that, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, I didn't know they could do that. That's really cool. That's really cool. But, like, I I can't do that. But I wonder if Philip was like, well, Stephen's, he's dead. Like, he's in heaven, and I love him, and he's my friend. And so whatever Stephen had, will you just give it to me? And he starts working in signs and wonders. And I want to say that as you see other people, instead of getting that weird comparison guilt thing, just be like, Lord, I'm here. I'll be available. If you want to heal some cripples, I'm available. I'll pray for him. You're going to have to put yourself out there, but I'll pray for him. I love, too, that, like, it's not like Philip prayed for someone with a head cold and they felt better. Not that that's wrong. But I'm saying start small if you need to start with a head cold. But don't be afraid of a wheelchair. You know what I'm saying? You just never know when God's going to move. And his obedience multiplies into other people on the other side being impacted. Your obedience always has someone on the other side who's in need. These people are listening to Philip, and they're receiving the kingdom of God. With shrieks, evil spirits are coming out of many. That's terrifying. I bet, like, Philip's like, I cannot wait to tell other people about this because they're not going to believe it, you know, what he's seeing. He's seeing crazy things. I love, too, we're going we're gonna to skip that middle portion and revisit it in that in chapter 8. But your obedience multiplies into more opportunities to obey. We never, like, outgrow our opportunities to obey. You obey once. You're going to obey again. And that sick feeling in your stomach that you had the first time you obeyed will maybe get a little less, but at some point it's going to come back. Like you just, you just keep working through it. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and in verses 26 through 40, we're going to read this really quickly. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So this is option one. Philip's like, an angel comes to me and he tells me to go the less traveled way. So he obeys and he goes. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Philip obeys. So Philip ran to him. I love that. Philip's not like, I guess I'll go. He's like running to the the chariot. Runs to him, hears him reading the Isaiah the prophet and asks, do you understand what you're reading? And this guy's like, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch asked Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this? And about himself or someone else? This is what we call low-hanging fruit, Okay. Like, God gave him a really easy win here. He's like, who was led like a lamb to the slaughter? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I'd be like, I don't know. Good idea. Just like, you never know when you're going to get the easy finds, you know? This is a good moment for Philip. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through the gospel, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So I read this awesome commentary where it's talking about in Acts so far. We've been seeing God moving on multitudes, but now we get to see him on the individual. So God loves the crowd. But don't lose the fact that like, I'm just me in the crowd, just me. 
Like, he wants to be on you, too. He wants to move on you. And these easy wins for Philip probably did, it didn't happen like this every time he went to tell someone about Jesus. They're like, oh, there's some water, you know. That didn't happen every time. That's why we have this recorded. But I believe this became a lifestyle for Philip. And I want to say, if Christ is hindered, there was another commentary that said this. If Christ is hindered, one Philip is not willing to go. So I want to say, if we're not willing to go, we just never know who's on the other side of our obedience. When I was in college, I was driving back from Tyler, where I live, to Waco. And I'd been hearing about, you know, just Jesus and evangelism in Antioch. And I was really overwhelmed and felt awkward. And I went into a gas station. And uh, there's a woman working behind there. I talk for a minute, get back in my car, drive away. The Lord says, go back and tell her I love her. I'm like, I'm like, but I'm going this way. And she's, so I turn around because I'm like, fine, whatever, God. So I go in, and I'm like, hey, are you alone? Which is like the worst thing to ask someone at a gas station. <laughs> she's like, yes. <laughs> no, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry, that sounds awkward. I was like, it just felt like I was driving away, and I'm trying to hear God's voice. I felt like he said he loved you. And she starts crying. I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank you, Lord. Turns out she's from Micronesia. Her whole family are in the ministry. She was in a terrible car accident a year before, almost died, and hadn't given her life to Jesus. And they begged with her, like, please, come know Jesus. You almost died. And she's like, no, I won't. And she said, but because you said that, I want to give my life to God. Right? That's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, great. Well, let's just pray. I don't really know what to do next. I thought you'd say no. You know, or I thought I'd, like, leave. So I go back, and I take her to church the next week, and she gets plugged into a church in Corsicana. So awesome. I have no idea where she is now. But it was just a moment of obedience, right? And people are waiting on the other side of you obeying. And I want to just say this really quickly. I was going to have us read 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, because there are these gifts that, that Philip's walking in, and they're powerful gifts. And I don't think he had them before this moment. I think the Spirit gave it to him in the moment. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, variety of service, the same Lord, variety of activities. It's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Sometimes we're like, oh, that means that I only have this little bit for the common good. This is it. That's all I have. And I just think like maybe the spirit's like, no, I'll give you what you need. Like if you need a gift of healing and you pray for someone who's sick, I'll give it to you. Like keep asking, keep going after these things. He wants to activate them in you. And I love that we get to pick up on Philip's life later in Acts chapter 21. We see, remember, he, he preaches the gospel all the way until he gets to Caesarea. So here in Acts 21, it says, On the next day, we, which is Paul and some other people, departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist. So now Philip has a title because of his lifestyle. It, which shows to me, like, he's continued to walk this out. You know, it wasn't like, there was this one time 20 years ago, it was awesome. <laughs> Should have been there. He's like, no, I've lived this. I'm Philip the evangelist now who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I love this. Because this means that he empowers his children. And they want in on the game so bad that in a time when a woman's worth was who she married and how she married and how quickly, these are unmarried women who are prophesying. And some things that this means that they actually taught the scripture which is really exciting too. But the fact is, he's a man who believes that his generations after him are going to be affected by his obedience. The people around you, if you're afraid your kids are going to leave church, if you're doing the real thing, they're going to want in on the game. Eventually. You know, I just think that's like just, we can just, they're going to come back. And they're going to see you doing the real thing. And he has these four unmarried daughters who are prophesying. Before we finish, I, I, we're going to open up 
just the end, because in the middle of this whole chapter is this part about Simon the sorcerer who's in Samaria, and he has magical powers, and everyone's listening to him. And then Philip shows up, and everyone stops listening to Simon. They start listening to him. And then Philip somehow gets in touch with John and Peter, and he says, come down here. Everyone's getting saved, but they've only been baptized in water. And so they come down. They lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And when Simon sees this, he's like, hey, I'll pay you for this gift. Like, give me this gift. And then Peter, in typical Peter style, calls him out and rebukes him big time and says all these things. And then the guy's like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But... (laughs) We're just looking at this text for a minute, and I want to respond with our hearts, saying that today I think God wants some of us to be activated. So we're going to take this text, and we're going to do it. We're going to have our ministry team come down to the front as the worship team comes. And if your heart's burning in you, and you're like, I want to walk this way. I want to be a person filled with the Spirit and filled with God. If you're not sure you've ever experienced the filled with the Spirit, today could be a good day for you. If you want gifts, if you want to be activated, like these seven, they took these seven men and they laid hands on them. And then Philip and Stephen begin walking in signs and wonders. I don't know, there's not a magic ticket, but we're just going to follow the model that we see in the scripture. So we're going to have our ministry team come forward. And then if you are wanting that today, I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to pray. Everyone stand up. I'm going to pray. And if your heart is moving, I just encourage you to come on down now because you just never know. Lord. We thank you for Acts chapter eight. We thank you for Philip. We thank you that there are Philips in this room. Uh, Earlier this week, someone felt like God said that there are dormant gifts in this room. So I just pray, Lord, that you'd wake up gifts this morning, that you'd just be giving them out right and left. And I pray for hunger. I I pray that we would not have a jaded lens about all of this, that we would just be like kids looking at the Bible and being like, I didn't know this was possible, but I'm gonna go after it. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do whatever you want to do so that you can send us wherever you want to send us. 